Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, like Evan said, I'm Aaliyah Persley and um, pastor of Community Formation. I love it. We're so excited um, at all that God is doing in San Diego and specifically in Park Hill. Um, my husband, Matt, and I, uh, who was talking about Royal Family Kids Camp, we got to be a part of the team that helped plant Park Hill back in 2017. Um and you guys, we see God working in this city every week, and we're so humbled to see it. So um, today we're going to pause for a minute, and we're going to look at our vision for community, what Park Hill feels called to in light of who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm so excited because I think this moment is a trying time for so many of us. Um, it's a tough year. More than ever, relationships are strained. We have economic uncertainty, we have politics, and we have just honestly the collective stress of 2020. Um, so as we step into Advent and then into 2021 as a family, we need Jesus's vision for deep relationship. Um, this is what we're going after today, and I'm, I'm super humbled to take us there. So would you pray with me? Father, we commit this time to you. We ask you to move. Would you speak to us through your word with your Holy Spirit? Lord, we trust that you are doing beautiful things in a difficult year. We know that that is who you are. So would you have your way today in this time? Amen. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. If you have a phone or if you have a Bible, would you open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3? That's where we're going to start today. Cool. So Mark, chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 16. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Sons of Thunder. That sounds fun. Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Okay, at first, I know that this doesn't seem like the most inspiring text. Um, it's maybe one step above reading the dictionary. Um, but let's take a couple minutes and let's ask some question, questions about this list of names. So an obvious first question is, who are these guys? And scripture doesn't actually tell us a ton about the lives of each of these men, but what we do know is pretty profound when considering this close-knit group that Jesus called to himself. So there's vast diversity represented, both in background and occupation. These guys were really different from each other. So let's go through them. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all fishermen. Um, for their location near the Sea of Galilee, this was a super common trade for the day, so pretty normal dudes. Except for some reason, Jesus called them the Sons of Thunder, which uh, sounds pretty hardcore. But then we find out that actually James and John's mom was the one behind the scenes uh, trying to get them political power. So not as hardcore also doesn't make you super popular in groups of friends when your mom is trying to get you power. It's weird. So um, yeah, then we move on to Matthew, who's a tax collector. And tax collectors generally are not a popular person with anyone. But in this time, the fact that he was a Jewish man and was a tax collector it meant that he was, he was content enough with Roman rule to actually represent the government in an official capacity. As a Jew himself, this would have been a point of great contention for fellow Jews. So that takes us to Simon the Zealot. 
couldn't be more opposite. He was a part of a movement that advocated throwing off Roman rule over Palestine by any means necessary. This is, this is extreme. He was a member of a group that sought the expulsion of the Romans. And he was fighting for, for the reigning of Jewish independence. It's assumed by most scholars that he left this movement when he started following Jesus. But nonetheless, prior to following Jesus, this is where he was coming from. And then we have Judas, who's a pretty famous bad guy. So imagine having these 12 disciples over for Thanksgiving dinner next week. Um, what would that conversation feel like around the dinner table? Um, and you think your family gets awkward. Now imagine that you're Jesus and you're appointing people to live day in and day out with you. This was, um, this was not just a crew that he got to see here and there. He was, he was doing meals with them. He was traveling with them. He was doing ministry with them. This was like life. They did life together. And he chooses people who could quite literally be at risk of entering war with each other. So just looking at Matthew and Simon alone, we see that Jesus brought two men together who could not have disagreed more politically. And at least when they first began following Jesus, this was true. So nothing but the call of Messiah could bring these guys together. Virtually all Christian voices throughout history uh, point out that these 12 disciples actually represented the church in miniature. The church is supposed to reflect this diversity. But there's more. We know that beyond this group of 12 learners, the people that followed Jesus, there were actually other men and women. So in Luke chapter 8, it tells us that Mary Magdalene and Susanna and Joanna and many others, they were actually supporting Jesus' ministry out of their own means. They were financially supporting Jesus and learning from him and going from town to town. And this was after they had been delivered by evil spirits. This is transformation in the community of Jesus. So Jesus took a lot of heat for the people that he surrounded himself with. The religious leaders of the day could not understand why he would hang out with people that had such bad reputations. So the next question we want to ask is how? How did Jesus, how did these people follow Jesus together with such significantly different backgrounds? But I mean, they did have Jesus, who is God. So probably when they joined him, they turned into this peaceful, beautiful, all-knowing roaming group of monks, right? Wrong. Like super wrong. <laughs> One thing we learn from this first community of Jesus followers is that unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. It does mean that we commit to the long haul of being submitted to and refined by King Jesus in beautiful and fun and really difficult relationship with one another. Here's just two situations we learn about from Luke's gospel. So Luke chapter 9 says, as, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples 
James and John saw this. Hold on, I'm going to wait till the plane's really gone because this is my favorite part. Okay, when James and John saw that the people were leaving, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And then he and his disciples, they went to another village. Okay, context. In this same chapter, Jesus fed the 5,000. He, he, he heals a demon-possessed boy. He's doing beautiful things. He's teaching and he's feeding and he's healing. And the disciples see this power and, and they start to grasp the truth that he is Messiah. But instead of seeing the way that Jesus uses his power, they think that the best way to use that power is to blast people that disagree with Jesus with fire from the sky. <laughs> I almost love that all the text says right after that is Jesus turned and rebuked them and then they went to another town. <laughs> it's easy. I think it's really easy to read that and see how wrong they were and to see that they were missing the point. Um, but I guess this week, and honestly for quite a few weeks, what I've been processing is what ways am I calling down fire on other people who disagree with me? What would Jesus be rebuking me for in this moment? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it for all of us. What would Jesus be rebuking us for in this moment? Is it the spirit behind the social media post? Is it having to be right politically? Maybe, honestly, maybe it's just sitting with someone in conversation and we're not listening to what they're saying if they disagree with us, we're not. We are just coming up with the perfect argument while they're talking to tell them why they are wrong and we are right. And maybe, um, maybe, yeah, we're just uninterested. Maybe we don't care to hear what somebody else has to say or what has brought them to the place to convict them. So it might, it might be a beautiful reason that enriches my life and inspires Christ-like compassion in me. This is, this is how I call fire down on other people. Um, yeah, one more example. In Luke chapter 9, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. But they didn't get it. The disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest. And Jesus comes in and he flips that whole argument upside down. And, and, and he tells them that in God's economy, the least of these will be the greatest. And now at this point, the disciples um, and those who began to see that Jesus was the true Messiah, they still believed that he would take political power. This is where they're sitting. And they thought he would rule and he would reign as the king that he was. But Jesus meant what he said. He would not become the greatest by earthly standards. Instead, he knew he would become the greatest example of the least of these by dying a death on a cross. 
they didn't get it at this point. And as a matter of fact, the majority of the disciples still didn't get it, even through the process of Jesus being arrested and suffering and crucified. I mean, Peter, he freaked out as Jesus was being arrested and he chopped off a Roman soldier's ear. <laughs> Jesus had to put it back on. It was a whole situation. Not great. But Peter didn't understand that Jesus was the Prince of Peace who would confound the world with a totally opposite kind of power. Not the kind of power um, that uses brute force or earthly politics. But it was the kind of power that was forgiving, forgiving and a suffering love. It wasn't until Jesus rose again. And then even that, even when Jesus rose again, uh, they didn't believe it until they saw him. And even Thomas didn't believe it until he was able to actually put his hands in the holes of Jesus. And when he, Jesus rose again, they again thought, okay, he's risen. Now is the time when he's going to assume the throne and bring righteousness and justice to this broken world. This desire that the disciples had is still the desire that we are longing for today. We cry out, we see the mess, and we ask Jesus to make everything right. The hardest part is that Jesus' kingdom has begun to break into the world, but it doesn't look like the disciples thought it would, and we as the disciples of 2020, often it doesn't look like we think it should. We're sitting in the me messy, messy middle of the now and not yet. And we long for righteousness and justice, just as Jesus' first disciples did too. And this desire we have, it's not wrong. It is the heart of God. He desires it way more than any of us could possibly imagine. He, he desires it so much that he gave his son for it. Now we have the opportunity to be the bride of Christ, to be the church who is called to bear the image of God and be cultivators of righteousness and justice to a broken world until that last day. It's not clean and it's not easy, but we are called just like the original disciples to do it together with Jesus as the king of our lives. Instead of an ultimate power that forces all of us to conform, we have a God that transforms us. And he partners with us to bring order to a disordered world. And I think the absolute best part of this is he's, he's not asking us to do this alone. I think in this season, it feels really overwhelming. It's hard to know where to start to bring God's righteousness and justice to the world. But he's given us his Holy Spirit. This group of disciples is our first example of Christ's church, and it's beautiful. It's a group of people who are not limited to any race or gender or socioeconomic class or political view. This group was anything but homogenous. It included men and women from every nation. And these are the people that Jesus chose. I know that the word unity is getting dragged through the mud right now as a cop out. It, it really is, we see it everywhere. But if we understand that in order for God to be able to be unified with us, Jesus had to die. 
then we will understand that this word is anything but passive. It is loaded. This word is a long-suffering, impossible without Jesus word. Unity has been given to us as a gift, and, and it's something that we must cherish and strive for in the power of the Holy Spirit alone. Galatians chapter 2 actually tells us that Paul confronted Peter to his face for falling back into segregating himself from redeemed Gentiles. Peter forgot that in Jesus we're all called to be one. Peter put the opinion of man to keep up appearances over the call of Jesus to be united. But Paul didn't throw Peter out. He opposed him to his face. This is true love. This is relationships in the family of God. We, we don't, as followers of Jesus, we don't get the luxury of cancel culture. We are called to bear with one another. So this is good. I mean, you guys, even the apostles had trouble with the us versus them mentality. Um, even the apostles had trouble believing that God was redeeming them. And that's, that's, the, that's just what we're going through. We have to understand that God is redeeming us. Now, as we sit in this moment of 2020, despite all we know about the transforming, powerful person of Jesus, in many ways, we're collectively in a tough season. Um, it, it seems like most of my conversations throughout the week, um, they begin with somebody saying, hey, I know this is like a really tough season for everyone, but I'm just really going through it. And honestly, a lot of my conversations start that way too. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's dot, 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 fill in the blank of why for each different person. And I don't think that the fact that everyone's going through it cheapens that. Um, but I do think when there's a widespread desert season, we should spend as much time as we can asking God some questions. And um, throughout the day, here's what they are. What are you doing in this season? What are you doing in me? And what are you doing in your church? God is near to us in these desert seasons. And he wants to do something. So I'm going to close with um, just three thoughts, just pastoral wisdom from myself and the elders. And, and for our church, we just want to cling to these things to sustain relationship in a difficult time. So the first one is know whose you are. And it's not know who you are. First, you need to know whose you are in order to know who you are. Because the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, your identity is loved daughter. Your identity is loved son. And when you choose to follow Jesus, this is a fact. And then we walk forward with the goal to be constantly connected, obedient, and aware of the Holy Spirit throughout each day. Um, in this season, God has been so good to me, and, and I really mean it when I say God has been so good. Um, to, be, to be honest, it's been, a, it's been a difficult year for a lot of reasons, and I wish I could say that through this year, I've woken up hours early and spent all this beautiful time with the Lord and the Word, and um, some days that happens, it does. But more often than not lately, it's um, when I am just drop my kids off at school and I'm driving away and I feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, 
like spend time with me. So I pull my car over and I open my Bible or I do listening prayer for 10 to 20 minutes and I say, God, do something with this. And, and he does. He shows up. And throughout the day, there, there are these little chunks of time and God gives me space to show up imperfectly because he is perfect enough for both of us. And no matter what season we're in, we are called to just be with Jesus each day. And, and before you know it, these little chunks of time, they become bigger and bigger until your whole day is full of being with Jesus. Small obedience is always how big transformation happens. And it starts with wanting to hear what God has for us. If, if you don't know where to start, I would just suggest there's so many great places to start, but just read the Gospel of John chapter 15 and read God's heart to keep you with himself. He's the vine, we are the branches, and his desire is to keep us close throughout each day. And then the, the second one is be in community. Become like Jesus. We, we have always said that Park Hill communities are the heartbeat of Park Hill. Um, we were not created to walk this life alone in isolation. God gave Adam Eve because it was not good for man to be alone. Even Jesus walked the earth with imperfect people. And God lives in relationship even with himself. We live in relationship with one another through the power of his spirit. In committed community, it's a space where the truth is spoken, confession happens, real relationships happen. And this is a space where followers of Jesus come and we invite the Holy Spirit to radically transform ourselves and one another. In this space of committed community, we have the opportunity to realize that it's not me and them. It's us working towards the same goal of making Jesus king of our lives. Um, I had this really awful toy as a kid. Maybe you guys had it, but it was a rock polisher. So I'm just tipping my cards that I was a nerd or am. It's fine. But um, you would collect all these rocks and you'd put it in there and then you would add really coarse sand and you'd turn it on and it was loud and it was super annoying. And then over time you'd add finer and finer sand and these ugly rocks would come out bright and shiny and beautiful. And honestly, it's a really good metaphor um, for, for the community of God. We jump in and the friction is loud and it's annoying and uh, it takes a long time but the consistency is actually what refines us. So 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In our lifelong spiritual journey of pursuing Jesus, we see that working out our faith in community is, is far from an instant acquisition, but God's built has put such gifts in relationship with him at the center. Um, we wanna spend more time in this coming year praying together as communities because that's where we're in God's presence and that's where we're made whole. Um, 
yeah, in community. This is where we practice unity. So uh, here's my community pastor plug real quick. We, up until now, um, have structured our groups to where you need to be in a group before you can lead a group. And that was really just to send someone in and have them filled up before a season of leading, and also so they could catch the vision and the DNA of Park Hill communities. So we had people who wanted to lead, and they would say, I'm ready. We'd say, okay, jump in a community for three months and then we'll come and talk to you. So throughout this year, when we come back and we say, okay, are you ready? We need you. And they're like, no, I'm not doing it. I love my group too much. So it didn't work out, but it was great. It was such a good thing. We're saying like what we're praying for is happening. These people want to stick together and um, work out their faith. But moving forward, we need more communities, obviously, so we, we have to change. So, um, And also, it's been a tough year, and we realize that our leaders need more training throughout the year and more encouragement. So starting in January, we're going to do a three-week training. If God's pulling out your heart at all to lead a community, reach out and let us know. Um, because we would love to pray with you and see if that's what God has for you. And we'd love for you to lead these groups that we're talking about. We believe this is what God's doing. And we're praying towards him providing the right people. So pray about it. Think about it. January, come and talk to us. Um, and we'd love to equip you so you can lead these groups. And then just the only other encouragement for you. If you've gone to our website and you realize we don't have a ton of open groups or one of the open ones doesn't work for you, hang tight. We're praying, we know. Grab a few friends um, and just commit. Don't let it just be a hangout. Commit to praying together and talking about Jesus and sharing confession. If you need resources, reach out. We'd love to give you some. Um, yeah, but that's our encouragement. So the third one, and this is the one I am so grateful for, is pray together. Um, this is where God's moving us in 2021. I really believe that God has prayer at the forefront of all of our minds. Um, our team had the privilege of connecting with an incredible spiritual father. His name is Mike Pilavachi, and he um, leads out of Soul Survivor in the UK. And the UK has not been able to gather in person yet. Um, they're still over Zoom. They're still broadcasting live. And, and it's tough, but he was encouraging us and he was sharing stories of what God is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about what God's doing over Zoom and that his, his leaders are just driving to houses and they're, stand, they're in their car and they're just reaching towards uh, homes and praying for these people in their homes who need prayer so badly. And while he was talking, I was so inspired because he's sharing what God's doing through this really difficult season. And I realized we are able to be here. The, you guys, we're here together today. We are the embodied presence of Jesus and we get to physically gather. And I'm so grateful for it. So it also made me feel like we have no excuse. Like we have to be praying for each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... You know, there's planes flying over and it's sometimes it's raining and it's hot and we have masks, but we are together. And this is a gift that God's given us. Um, so just today, uh, as we're coming to worship, um, if you guys would stand actually right now, we're just closing out and we're going to do something a little bit different. And um, I would ask you just to step out. If you know you need prayer, would you raise your hand up high? And then... Um, 
if you're near somebody who raises their hand, you know, we've been saying this whole time, we do want to honor guidelines. We do want to keep everybody safe. So we, we trust that the spirit co- covers the distance. So if somebody raises their hand, just stretch your hand out and ask the spirit to help you pray for this person who needs it, who needs their cup filled. And we're going to ask right now, just pray with me. Father, we trust that you are here and you're working. We want to celebrate that we get to be your embodied presence right now. It's such a blessing to be in sunny San Diego where we can be outside and we can look into the faces of those who need prayer. So God, would your Holy Spirit come? Would you move? Would you heal? Would you convict? Would you do what you do, God? Father, we know it's who you are. We trust you. Let us be your community. Let us be unified because of who you are. We trust you, Lord. We're thankful for you. Amen.